Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 3. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 3. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, help us as we study today. God, I thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist and everything that he represented, how you wove him into the Christmas story, how you set the gospel ready, and you set the gospel in a way that was very powerful through a man who preached a word in season, a word of repentance. And so, Father, as we study today, I pray, God, that you would help us to grasp the spirit of what John the Baptist was doing. And may we be more fond of our Christmas story as we learn and as we grow together in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Holy Spirit, as I always pray, I'm yours. Use me for your glory. Let those words that come out of my mouth be inspired of the Spirit, and may they bring life and bring hope and bring truth and bring freedom to the captives. 
And God will give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated in the Lord's presence. Uh, this is Christmas time, and this, uh, for Christianity, this is like the Super Bowl for us in, a way, in many, many ways because we get to really uh, highlight Christ. Uh, as it was echoed earlier, obviously, uh, we celebrate Christ year-round, uh, but this time of year, most of the country, if not the world, focuses in on the birth of Christ. And so this is a golden opportunity for us. And around this time, I love to kind of dig into the Christmas story. And so this series is entitled, uh, The Cast of Christmas. And so we'll be looking at various characters that make up the Christmas stories. We'll be looking and we will be exploring uh, their role and how they uh, was key to ushering in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we study the Christmas story, I cannot go into the story without uh, talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was an incredible man of God, and John preached repentance. In fact, before we get into John, I just want to make a couple of comments that I think will be helpful uh, as it relates to salvation and repentance. There is many today that want to strip repentance from the message of the gospel. And what I mean by that is simply that people are more desirable for a type of Christianity that suggests that we can live any way that we choose to live, any way that we want to live, without being accountable, without the spirit of repentance. And so I, heard, I hear sometimes people, you will hear people say, uh, you know, we, we have this thing today where we ask God for forgiveness. And how do we know God wants to forgive us? But forgiveness doesn't come until first there is a repentant heart. And that is something that is missing today as many people are simply going about, in fact, uh, uh, I, I've, I've met people that actually said to me uh, that uh, they were going to, going to what they call confession. How many of you ever heard of Catholicism? Who was, who was Catholics? Everybody even warned a Catholic? Uh, they used to have this, thing, they have this thing called confession. And I know what the point of confession is, but there were people that I knew of personally that would say that they were going to do what they wanted to do, uh, they were going to walk in uh, opposition to the things of God, and then they would simply just go to confession, and then they would just keep doing the same thing all over and over and over and over again. In other words, there was no change. Confession then just becomes a means for me to continue to do what I want to do, and all I do is ask God for forgiveness, and it's okay. The problem with that is it's foreign to Christianity. There cannot be salvation, there cannot be deliverance until first there is repentance. I don't care what people say. I know what the message is out there today. Just ask God for forgiveness and it's, it's okay. And many people say, well, I don't understand. How come I can't get over this? How come I can't get over this problem? How many know that that... that Repentance means 
that there has to be some change. So John the Baptist comes on the scene to do this. He comes and the gospel began. Let me, let me say this. The gospel began with the proclamation of repent. That's how the gospel message started. And if you notice today, people want a Jesus and they don't want to repent of sin. They want a Jesus that says, it's okay. You know, grace, grace allows me an account to sin against God. Now, how many know that that's a trick of the devil? In Luke chapter 6, I'll just read this verse to you. You don't have to turn there for time's sake. Luke chapter 6, verses 4 to 4 through 4 to 6, Jesus says this. Every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather fig from thorns, watch this, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure, everybody say good. Good treasure of his heart brings forth fruit. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Watch this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But here's the question that Jesus had in verse number 46. I want you to hear this. And this is the question that Jesus had. I want you to ponder this thought for a moment. Jesus asked the question, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Right? He says, why do you call me Lord? Why is it that you call me Lord, but yet there is no connection to following what I say? Jesus expected there to be a change. How many know the Sermon on the Mount meant something? He gave the Sermon on the Mount to give a whole new way of living, a, a whole new way of looking at life. And he says, if you don't obey, if my character is not reflected in your life, then you have not earned the right yet to call me Lord. Because he simply says, why do you call me Lord and you don't want to do what I say? How many know we're going to go back to the Bible today? Here's what the Bible says. So let's talk a little bit about John the Baptist. John, he was called John the Baptist because he baptized. <laughs> John was born, if you study Luke chapter 1, you'll find the story of John's birth. He was born to Elizabeth and the priest Zacharias. And Zacharias and Elizabeth, the Bible says, was blameless. They were holy, upright people before God. And they had been praying for a child for years because Elizabeth, she was barren. And the Bible said that in their old age, now we don't really know how old Elizabeth and Zechariah was, but what we do know is they were past the time of childbearing. That God visited them and God gave them John the Baptist. The Bible said that this man, John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Ghost from the time of his birth. And he would turn the hearts of the fathers and the children back to God. That was the message of John the Baptist. The Bible says that John came in the spirit of Elijah. For many of you who don't know, Elijah was a prophet of God. And Elijah was one who preached 
repentance. Elijah was one that warned the people to turn to God. And it's also quoted in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Just write it down. How that in the last days, the Bible declares that, that there would be this, uh, God will send uh, 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 Elijah. Elijah was this prophet. And so John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, now I want you to hear this. It was prophesied that Isaiah would come to be the forerunner to the Christ, to the Messiah, 700 years before he came. 700 years before, before Christ came, I, it was prophesied that there will be the voice, in Isaiah chapter 43, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So this was the spirit that Elijah, I'm sorry, that John the Baptist came. He came in the power and the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children back to God. So John, he arrives on the scene. You would guess he's not the most attractive character. John was a man who wore camel's hair, a belt around his waist, and he ate locusts. If y'all don't know what locust is, it's a type of, it's like a grasshopper. Locusts and wild honey was his diet. He hung out in the wilderness, and all he did was he preached. He comes on the scene, and he began to preach, repent. He was that voice that was crying in the wilderness. How many know, I want to make a couple insightful statements regarding John the Baptist I think would be helpful this morning. God's messenger oftentimes conflicts with what we think it should be. God oftentimes will contradict what we think or how we think things ought to be. I can think of somebody probably a little bit better than John the Baptist to be the man that would come and preach repentance. I mean, there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees and there were, there were people that were educated, people that were smart. Surely, if God is going to introduce the message of the kingdom to the whole world, surely he can use somebody better than a man like John the Baptist. In fact, I would venture out to say that many of us, if we saw a guy on the side of the road with camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, and that's all he did, and you'd probably be making a phone call. You'd be saying, I, I don't want to, something wrong with this guy. We need to call mental health services. And so many of, the, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they come along and they see John the Baptist, and they're looking at him like, you know, they know what the Bible said. It's like, God ain't no way that God is going to speak through you. I mean, know that God oftentimes will use the most unlikely characters to fulfill what he wants to do in the earth. Some of you have been waiting for God to talk. Oh, God, speak to me. But here's the thing. God has been speaking, but many of us don't listen because we don't like the package. We don't like the way God packaged it. See, sometimes your deliverance is in the thing that troubles you. Sometimes you're delivered. And see, this, this is why it's good not to walk in the spirit of unforgiveness or bitterness. 
Because oftentimes your deliverance, and God knows how to do this thing. He's an expert at this. Oftentimes your deliverance will come in a way that you don't want it. God, I want to be delivered. I want to be set free, but I don't want it like that. John the Baptist can't give it to me. Brother so-and-so, he can't give it to me. Sister so-and-so, she can't give it. God, I want somebody else to give it to me the way I want it. And God said, no, I'm going to send you somebody who is unlikely, somebody you don't like. I'm going to send you, send that person to you to bring about deliverance. So some of you may be familiar with, I believe it's 2 Kings chapter 5, is a story of a man named Naaman. And Naaman was the uh, commander of the Syrian army. He had leprosy. Leprosy was a terrible disease. I mean, body parts fall off. It was contagious. It was just a horrible, horrible disease. There was no cure for leprosy. As far as I know, there's still no cure for it. So this man, who was the commander of the Syrian army, he got word that there was a man in Israel named Elijah. He said to Elijah, he, he said, look, he goes, they said, look, if you want to get healed of your leprosy, go see Elijah. Elijah, he's a prophet. He's a man of God. Elijah, he's the one. He will heal you. So Naaman goes to Elijah, right? And so when Elijah sees Naaman, he, Elijah's a prophet. Elijah says, uh, he says, what's the problem? He says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, this man has leprosy. He want to be healed. How many know when you really want to be healed? You don't care. You should not care where the healing. You just want to get delivered. So Naaman said, Naaman said, so, so Elijah said to him, well, I, you will get healed, but you got to dip your head in this Jordan River seven times. Now, the Jordan River was dirty. It was nasty to him. And he simply said, ho, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I mean, surely there are other rivers, there are other waters. I'm not going to dip my head in this Jordan River seven times. This is dirty. Surely I thought that the man of God would just wave his hand and he would just heal me. But he said, no, if you want to get delivered, go dip your head in that Jordan River seven times. And the boy, you know what Naaman did? He walked off in the rage. He said, nope, I don't want it. He walks off. Then somebody got a hold of him and said, hold up, brother. Remember, you got leprosy. <laughs> you ain't got a lot of time. So he came to his senses, and guess what? He went and dipped his head in that water seven times, and he got delivered. What's the moral of that story, of that passage of Scripture? God, if you want to seek God, you will find him oftentimes in the unlikeliest of places. God will come and he will help you. He will heal you. And God is speaking to you. But, but you got to be willing to receive. How many know God can speak to you? He can speak to a dog. He can speak to your children. I, I, I told my wife, my, my wife remembered this. It was one time somebody came to our church and they walked in the church and they saw me and they quickly turned around and walked back. And here's my thing. I said, and I, and I said to myself is, there's a word of deliverance. There's something that God want to do in your life. But, but, but the problem is you don't really like the package, and so therefore you will remain where you are. How many know you got to be, you got to be sensitive to what God is saying, and you got to be open? Because God will speak through people, and he will use circumstances that you don't suspect. So some of you have been looking for God. Let me give you a hint. Look in the unwanted places. <laughs> Look in the places that nobody 
want to hang out at. Look into places that you don't particularly like and ask God to speak, and he will speak. And so, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, I just want to read you this verse. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. This is amazing. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame who put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. Watch this. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. God speaks through people like John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the person who has the word of deliverance, and we must be willing to receive. Secondly, John's message was repent. And I want to deal with this for a moment because this was the central theme of what John's message was all about. Now, the definition of repent is to turn from sin and, watch this, dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. It's a change of mind, which in turn will lead to a change of purpose and action. See, repentance, see, it's a, and John MacArthur said this, I want to quote, and I quote, John MacArthur said this. This is no mere academic change of mind, nor simply regret or remorse. I'm going to show you what the difference are between the two. John the Baptist speaks of repentance as a radical turning from sin that inevitably became manifest in the fruit of righteousness. So essentially what he's saying is repentance is more than just a mental attitude that says, I know I shouldn't do that. That's not repentance. Repentance is incomplete. It starts with, I know I shouldn't do that. It starts with the emotions. Well, I, I know this is wrong. I know that, that, that this is not the right thing. It starts there, but repentance is not complete until there is a change of course, until there's a change of action. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says this. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses, watch this, and forsake them. Everybody say forsake. forsake That's the key. Forsake sin means to, to walk away from them. The Bible says we'll have mercy. And so what we're hearing today and what we're seeing today in our culture today, that, that repentance is much, much more than this, I feel bad. How many know that everybody who get caught ain't repenting? I can't tell you how many people I sit down with, talk to, and cried in my face, and they wept like a baby. They got right back up, and they went back out there and did the exact same thing all over again. In other words, it's not just, it's not just well, I know this is wrong, and I shouldn't do it. <laughs> Repentance is not just, well, I, I kind of agree with God. That is wrong. All that is true. That's the beginning place. But what makes repentance, watch this, 
What makes it complete is, is, is the, the turning away that, that you hated so much that you figure out a way to turn from what you were doing and reverse and go in a whole nother direction. So people, how many know people get, they, how many, you see people, they get caught and they cry. Their remorse is because they got caught. How many know we can't mistake in that for repentance? Just because you got caught, you feel bad about it, doesn't mean that you have yet repented. And so what John was simply saying is that, that, that this was not something. He told the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, don't just come to me talking about uh, this and that. Show me fruits of righteousness. Show me that you really change. Let your remorse be translated into a changed life. Repent means I'm going to stop. Everybody say stop. stop. See, many people are still in the valley of decisions. We make provisions for the flesh, and we still want to hold on to certain things. But how many know that we got to come to a place, we're really going to repent, they got to be a radical break. Let me help you with this. Look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn there real quick. I don't think you have this verse. I apologize. But 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, and we're going to start reading in verse number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, we'll start reading in verse number 9. When you get there, say amen. Now, how many know that the Corinthian church had a lot of problems? <laughs> they had immorality. They were backbiting, they were divisive, they were gossipy. Everything that a church shouldn't be, you could find in the Corinthian church. I mean, they had a whole bunch of problems. So that's why we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, because Paul had to keep writing them. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians is a letter to the Corinth, to the Corinthians. And the first letter that Paul wrote was a very heavy letter. I mean, he hit them hard. He said, Paul called out their sin. Paul said, y'all got immorality in the church, and y'all are not dealing with it. People are not, people are not walking right. People are devices. We're taking each other to court. We're suing each other. We're, 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 we're divided. People are just all over the place. And so Paul wrote this very, very strong letter to rebuke them. But look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. This is the second time Paul is writing. Watch. He says, now I rejoice. Now Paul is saying, now are you still with him? Say amen. amen. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. Paul says, the goal of my letter, <laughs> y'all got to stay with me on this. The goal of my letter that I wrote to you was not just to make you sorry. He said, I'm rejoicing. I'm happy. I'm excited. But the goal of me writing, I didn't, I, it wasn't just to make you feel bad about your sin. Come on, somebody. He said, it wasn't about, I don't want to just make you feel bad. What was Paul's purpose? He says, watch this, now stay with me. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, watch this, but that your sorrow led to what? Repentance. See? He said, I'm rejoicing, not that you are made sorry, because if I just make you sorry, that's not going to change anything. That's, that's, that's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow don't produce repentance. 
Paul says, no, 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 I'm writing to you because I want you to turn away from the thing that you're doing. That's my goal. And if you happen to be sorry in the process, that's good. But my goal is that we repent, that we change course, that we change direction. Let's keep reading. Now watch what he says. Let's go a step further. He says, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces Repentance. You hear that? Every tear, every tear don't mean there's a repentant tear. See, those of us who desire to grow up in the things of God, we must learn this. We must learn this. That everybody who cries don't mean they're repenting. You got to be discerning. Because how many know Jesus said the tree is known by its what? Fruit. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise what? Perish. So repentance, Paul says, my goal in writing to you was not just to make you sorry, but boy, I am really happy. Because what I noticed is the letter that I wrote to you, boy, you guys change. I mean, this is great. I mean, I mean, boy, I'm hearing about you. You're turning around. Now you're loving each other. You're in unity together. There's a sense of oneness in the church. You are doing great. Your lives are being transformed. This is wonderful. This is exactly what I wanted. This was godly sorrow produces repentance. How many know if God is in it, you're going to repent? I see, let me say that again. If God is in it, you're going to repent. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about repentance. Now watch this. He said, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, uh, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world just simply says, I just feel bad. I cry. I shed a couple tears. But I intend to go right back to what I was doing. How many know that's going to produce death? That's not going to produce life. He says, now, look, look at this. He goes, he says, verse number 11. For, observe, for I observe this very thing that you sorrow in a godly manner. He says, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, and what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all things you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. In other words, you guys repented, you changed, you got it right. This is the central message of John the Baptist. So you understand when John the Baptist was saying repent, John was not baptizing anybody until they came first and said, I'm sorry, I intend to get this right, and I'm changing. Now you're ready for the waters. See, that's what baptism, baptism, we always say that baptism is an outward sign of something that happened on the inside that manifests itself on the outside, a life that's been changed. Here's the here's question you got to ask yourself. Have my life been changed since I came to Christ? Has there, is there really a change in my life? When people look at my life, can they characterize me as a person who walked with Jesus? Paul was so happy. And look at verse number 8 and 9 in Matthew chapter 3. Look at this. I want to deal with another problem that we have in our society of thinking today when it comes to repentance, when it comes to salvation. And I like how John puts it. Verse 8, y'all, you still in Matthew chapter 3? Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, now, therefore, 
bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, how do I know you repent? <laughs> how, do, how do we know when we repent? Fruit. There's something change. It ain't the same no more. No more. And he said in verse 9, and do not think. Now watch this. Now, I like how John threw this in here. Watch this. He says, now, watch it. And do not think to say to yourselves, watch this, we have Abraham as our father. <laughs> For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, now here, here, here's what they were saying. I want you to hear what, hear what they were saying here. John was letting them know because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they walked up there with their pride. Because, see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had it all together, right? They were educated. They were smart. And they come up and they looking at old John with his camel's hair and eating that wild, that, that honey, eating grasshoppers, thinking, who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he is? And so they're looking at John the Baptist, and John, and, and John say to them, he reads their mind, because in their mind they're thinking, wait a minute, uh, we are of Abraham's seed, you see. So we were born into this thing. We were born right with God. How many know they were sadly mistaken? And for them, they didn't even see the need for repentance. And so John says, don't even think. Don't even, don't even think within yourself just because you were born of Abraham's seed that you're going to be right with God. No, you've got to do like everybody else. You've got to repent. See, isn't that like the same spirit today that we see with people as it relates to salvation? Well, you know what? I'm a Catholic. You know, I'm a Lutheran. How long you been knowing the Lord? Well, you know, I'm a Baptist. How long you been knowing the Lord? Well, I'm a Presbyterian. How long you been knowing the Lord? Uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever. But it's not about whether or not you're Baptist, Presbyterian, or Catholic. It's have you ever repented? John was simply saying, so, so, you know, young people, hear me. You can't get to heaven on your parents' coattails. You know, you're not guaranteed into heaven because you were born into a family of preachers and pastors. I'm talking to my own kids. Amen. You're not, listen, you, you, just because mama and daddy goes to church and we love the Lord and we're going to heaven, don't guarantee you're going to get in. Amen. Everybody got to repent. There has to be a time in your life where you say, this way was the wrong way. God, I'm turning. I'm not, listen, mama can't get me in. Daddy can't get me in. Me going to church all my life, being confirmed, hallelujah, being baptized as a child, hallelujah, will not get you into heaven. You must repent. There is no salvation just because you have a relationship and you have some understanding of Bible. Well, I know the Bible. I don't know nobody to tell me anything. I know the word for myself. Well, if you know the word, you know that you need help. Because, and here's the thing, and, and how many know that this is the thing that we're dealing with today? When we talk to people about the gospel, that's the first thing they throw at us. They throw at us. I mean, I go to church. I'm good. John the Baptist said, don't even think about, don't tell me about what kind of family you grew up in and how that your mama and your daddy went. Don't even come to me with that. I don't want to hear that. 
Bring me some fruit. Show me that there was a time in your life when you dropped down on your knees and said, God, I am sorry. I am no longer going to live in this way again. I'm not going to walk in sin, God. I'm going to repent for adultery. I'm going to repent for immorality. I'm going to repent from sin. I'm going to repent. Because unless you repent, you will perish. Here is the lie that the devil is telling people. The devil wants to strip the gospel of repentance. And here, why people walk around deceived, thinking that they're right with God, because the church just want to pat them on the back and say, it's okay, just confess that God will forgive you. God will forgive you when you repent. Oh, pastor, this is not popular, pastor. You sure? I know you're talking about growing the church. You can't go to church like that. Well, just because a bunch of people in church don't mean they're all of the church, you see. Uh, you, you know, so you got you to gotta change your perspective on how you look at church. There's a lot of people going to church, they ain't going to heaven. I, I know for some of you, you're a little bit shocked. Church is made up of those who have repented of sin and turned their life to Jesus. And John the Baptist came on the scene and he said, look, everybody, don't just come talking to me. Do me a favor and bring me something. You say you're a Christian, show me something. Why are you still doing that? I thought you said you repented of that sin. What's the problem? How many know that we got to stop making provision for the flesh? I'm talking to you Christians now. You ain't going to get, let's watch it. We're never going to get delivered from anything until we first repent. And that's just not saying, well, I think, I, I agree with God. It starts there. But it must translate into, I am determined that I'm not going to do this anymore. So I'm going to make, watch, watch this. I'm going to make it so that I guard myself. Amen. I'm going to put some fences around. I'm going to do whatever I got to do, but brother, sister, help me. I got a problem, and I fully intend on not doing this again. See, many people don't want to do that. You know, you come to Christ, you can't hold on to both. It can't be like this. You got to make up your mind. What's it going to be? Are you going to walk with him or not? Oh, you know, and sometimes you just got to turn some people a little. How I many knows you got to just let go of some things? You can't get your deliverance until you make a decision to let go. He says in verse number 10, watch this, folks, watch this. He says in verse 10, look at verse 10 in Matthew chapter 3. And now even, this is John, we're looking at, we're looking at John the Baptist. This is the character that we're looking at today. Here's what John said. He said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Watch this. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the what? Now, oh, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Pastor. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in that, Pastor. Uh, I think there's a difference. I think we ought to be careful in how we preach the gospel. I've seen Christians be very, very, um, I'll put it this way. We don't have good tact when it comes to sometimes explaining the gospel and the destination of those who don't receive Christ. But that does not mean 
you know, maybe we need to change our methodology. Maybe we always need to mix what we do with grace and love, amen? Because we, nobody in here wants anybody to spend eternity in hell. Am I right about it? Nobody, nobody wants to see that. But we cannot deny the fact that Jesus talked a lot about hell. It's real. And I know there's a gospel message out there today. And see, Satan will love for people to don't even think it exists. If I'm Satan, I, that, that's exactly what I want. I don't want you to think hell exists. Let me, let me can, I, can I be honest with you? What got me into heaven, what got me to get on my knees real quick? I believe, I believe that there was a hell. And I, won't, I, I ain't going there. And I repented. I said, I don't want, whatever that is. And I've heard people say, oh, well, I don't know if it's a literal fire or I don't know if it's symbolic fire. I know it's bad and I don't want to be there. Hell is real. When we come to church on Sunday, sometimes we, we, sometimes we get too processy oriented. Sometimes, I know I just made up a word. Some, sometimes we just get too program oriented. Sometimes we just get too, uh, the, we, we, we just don't understand that this is real. We're talking about life. This is not something that we just do on Sundays. No, this is life. John the Baptist was preaching. Look, he said the ax is laid to the root. And he says, everything that don't bear fruit is coming down. Judgment day is coming. Hear it. Judgment is coming. And, and, and if I love you, I got to tell you the truth. And if I can scare a couple folks in the, in the heaven, I'll do it. Amen. If you, you, you scare me, well, well he's going to get you saved. I'll keep on scaring you. Because I love you too much to see you spend eternity in hell. People don't want to talk about that. We, see, we want to remove all of that from Christianity, but that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to go to sleep. Go to sleep until one day you lift your eyes up and it's too late. And as long as I'm here, I'm going to preach love to you, and I'm going to warn you like John the Baptist warned. A couple of verses. Look at this. A couple of verses I want to read. Acts 17 Verses 30 through 31. Write these down. He said, truly, I like this verse. These times of ignorance, I'm sorry, these times of ignorance God overlooked. That was a time when God's grace, God overlooked sin, right? There's, we're in a time where God is graceful, God is merciful, and God is compassionate. And thank God for his mercy. Thank you for your mercy. But now, commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. Why, why do we need to repent? Pastor, why do I need to repent? It's a good question. Why do I need to repent? Repent. Why can't I just live my life the way I want to live my life? Why do I need to repent? Look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 17. Watch. It says, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to, uh, to all by raising him from the dead. Good God Almighty. God has fixed a day. The judgment day is coming. This is why we need to tell people repent of sin, turn away. How I many know that's why the Bible said the judgment must first begin with the house of God? It's a bad thing when God's people don't act right. Repentance is something that we need to keep right before us. Amen? Amen? Because we lose sight sometimes. 
Revelation 21.8, just write it down. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars mm. shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. One death is we're all going to die one day, right? But the second death is worse. Revelation 20:15 says this, and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is why we do what we do. How do you find your name written in the Lamb's book of life? By re repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus. That's how you do it. See, John's message was simple. John's message was to point people to Christ. But how did he do it? He said, before you receive Christ, before you can receive forgiveness, before, watch how God did this. Y'all still listen, say amen. Before, before you can really receive life, before you can receive Jesus, you got to repent. John, John's message was, prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready. He is coming. How do we know? This is what we should be saying to everybody. Get ready. The Lord is coming. Get ready. Get your house in order. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus because judgment day is coming. Amen. It's coming. Well, why is he hollering? Because I'm passionate. Why is he hollering? Because I want to. How do you like that? So his mission was to point people to Christ. Look at verse 11. He said, indeed, I baptize you with water under repentance. Okay? So you got to repent. you got to get that. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He's talking about Jesus. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But watch this. How many know that God has promised the Holy Spirit to everybody who believes in him? But you ain't going to get no Holy Spirit until you repent of your sin. Until we make a decision to repent. Lastly, Luke 7, 28, just write it down. Jesus affirms John's ministry. He says, for I say to you among those born of women that there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Okay, well, for some who might say, well, Pastor, that was John the Baptist. Jesus didn't really say all that. Well, Jesus actually said the worst. Um, but worse in a good way. Jesus was a little bit more direct in a lot of ways. But the point is that God affirmed John the Baptist. He affirmed him. Christ said there was no greater prophet than John the Baptist. And what was John the Baptist's message? Repent. Change your life. Get serious about church. God's message to us today Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.